Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, Cardinals and ESPN play-by-play announcer Dave Pash. My guest this week is one of the best broadcasters in the business. He does it on a number of sports for a number of networks, and that's Kenny Albert. Kenny recently called a couple of Cardinals games. We'll get his thoughts on the cards and head coach Jonathan Gannett. Well, I, I certainly like the battle level. Um, enjoy talking to the coaching staff, to Jonathan Gannon, and uh, really think they're heading in the right direction with this coaching staff and, and this core group of players. We'll also talk with Kenny about what it was like to grow up an Albert. His dad, Marv, uh, award-winning and Hall of Fame broadcaster, but Kenny certainly has paved his own path to greatness, and he's done it for a long time, whether it's been with Fox for almost 30 years as an NFL broadcaster. He's the lead voice for the NHL, Stanley Cup Finals with Turner, does Rangers and Knicks games on MSG Networks, and he's had a lot of celebrities that he's encountered over the course of his career and his life going back to his childhood, and you'll never believe who his mom once beat at home in horse. Also, we'll talk with Kenny about his new book, A Mike for All Seasons. All that and more with the great Kenny Albert coming up. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. Sign up today with BetMGM, the official partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Use code CARDS1000 and get back up to $1,000 in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager, Arizona only. New customer offer. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Time now for our conversation with one of the top broadcasters in the business, Kenny Albert. Well, Kenny, first of all, you've had the Cardinals a couple times. I just want to get your thoughts on what you saw, uh, in particular uh, the last game you had uh, against the Seahawks a couple weeks ago. Well, I, I certainly like the battle level. Um, enjoyed talking to the coaching staff, to Jonathan Gannon and Drew Petzing. And, you know, obviously it's a bit of a depleted roster with some of the injuries. Buda Baker did come back in the game against the Seahawks last week. But uh, they certainly work hard. You know, they've had some – a number of games this year, as you well know, where they've stayed close for a half and then it kind of gets away in the second half. But I uh, really think they're heading in the right direction with this coaching staff and, and this core group of players. And you have dealt with JG before. I'm sure you've done a, a lot of Eagles games, uh, maybe even some games when he was in Minnesota. But obviously he's not meeting with the broadcasters. For people that don't know, the head coach and both coordinators – Usually, sometimes there are exceptions where a head coach won't let the coordinators talk to the media or at least the TV crew, but for the most part, the coordinators meet with the TV crew. What was your experience like with JG as a coordinator and now as a head coach in that setting? Did meet with him a couple of times as a coordinator in Philly and and really seemed mature beyond his years. Um, We do meet with a number of coordinators throughout the season. Oftentimes, if the head coach is more defensive-minded, We'll meet with the offensive coordinator that week and vice versa. Um, But in Philadelphia with with Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon, you had two real up-and-coming coordinators, and and we felt that, you know, we could be uh, chatting with both of these guys as head coaches in the near future, and that certainly has been the case. We've had the Colts twice this year and very impressed with Shane Steichen as well and uh, with Jonathan Gannon. You mentioned his years in Minnesota. Uh, working under the Vikings coaching staff, and then in Philadelphia, uh, was real happy for him when when he was hired by the Cardinals. When you look at uh, you know you've done Cardinal games for you know you've been at Fox now for thirty years, so you've done 
uh, obviously a lot of Cardinals games over the years. I'm sure you did games the Super Bowl year and then the 2015 NFC Championship game season where the Cardinals uh, went uh, to Carolina and lost. I even think you might have done the Cardinal-Panther playoff game back in 08. Am I right on that? It was the Kurt Warner game. Jake DeLome threw four picks. Did you call that game? I did. I think that was Jake DeLome's birthday, if I if I remember correctly. Yes. And, and he threw all those picks. Um you know, when I when I think back, uh, the first ever game, Dave, that I worked on Fox was back on nine four ninety four. It was Buddy Ryan's first game as Cardinals head coach. It was against the then L.A. Rams the year before they moved to St. Louis. And remember that game that weekend very well. And uh, then through the Vince Tobin years, Dave McGinnis, I could probably name all the all the head coaches in order over the last thirty years. But the first ever game was a Cardinal game. Did work that. Uh, playoff game that that you mentioned in Carolina as well. Another memorable game which would not be that memorable for the Cardinals, although uh, the next month and a half certainly was, uh, the Super Bowl year. Um, I worked the game in New England where the Cardinals were blown out late in the season in December, and I remember meeting with some of the players and coaches, and it turns out about 10 players on the roster had never seen snow before. And I'm sure you remember the game in a snowstorm in New England and they got blown out and then go to the Super Bowl about six weeks later. Yeah, the the thing that I remember the most about that game is, and you know where the booth is obviously in New England, you're out in the stands for the most part. I mean, you're in a booth, but it's still in the stands. And people were throwing snowballs all over the place, and some were coming into the booth. I mean, we were dodging snowballs while we were broadcasting what we thought was probably the uh, a harbinger of things to come, and the season was going to end horribly. Um I, I mean, look, Chris Collinsworth, everybody knows what he said. He said, you know, worst playoff team in history. Obviously, the Cardinals uh, proved that they weren't going to the Super Bowl. It was a magical year. Uh, 2015 was a great year. I, like you, uh, Kenny, I'm encouraged by the coaching staff. I'm encouraged by Monty Austin for it. Uh, based on the games you've called so far, I mean, do you see a bright future? Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel based on your experience so far? No, I do, absolutely. Um you know, all you have to do is look back at that game in New England and, and see how quickly things can turn around. But, uh, no, I think it's a terrific organization from uh, Mr. Bidwell on down and um, put together, a, 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 you know, a, a young coaching staff, but I think one that uh, is certainly on the rise. And, and it's just impressive watching how hard the team works, you know, despite uh, the injuries and, and some of the other issues you know, as far as the depth chart is concerned, um, you know, Josh Dobbs finally getting a chance. He's a great story. You know, we really enjoy talking to him, hearing about the uh, aerospace engineering major and some of his toughest classes and back in the college days. And I know he's a guy that Ben Roethlisberger really relied on heavily during uh, Josh's four years in Pittsburgh on the sidelines during games at practices. So, you know, you're happy to see a guy like that finally get a chance. It might not be long-term, obviously, with, with Kyler Murray on the way back, but um, really enjoy talking to the, the players and coaches. And it is impressive, uh, you know, how hard they work throughout despite, uh, you know, some of the issues roster-wise so far this year. You're working now NFL games with uh, Jonathan Vilma, who was a great New Orleans Saint linebacker. And I- I'm sure for a long time, Kenny, you were the – you were the young guy in the booth. You were working with guys that were older than you. Um, and I'm starting to get to the point in my career where, you know, I'm starting to work with guys that I covered uh, when they played. And now I'm working with them. 
Um, and obviously you probably did a bunch of John Vilma games. Is it, is it, are you seeing that more and more across the sports you work where you're starting to work with guys and starting to groom guys and mentor guys that you actually covered while they played? It has taken that turn, Dave. And, you know, I think back, I'm sure you have the same uh, memories. When we started, uh, we were younger than all the players and coaches, and now we're older than all of the players and, and many of the coaches. So I guess when you're around for as long as we have been, uh, that's going to be the case. But um, it's fun to work with, uh, you know, whether it's Jonathan Vilmer or some of the other analysts that I work with and that you work with. Um, did cover a lot of Jonathan's games, and he's really worked hard in the broadcasting business. It's his fourth year at Fox. He worked in the studio at ESPN uh, on some college football shows as well. And it's fun to be somewhat of a mentor and, and guide them along. And uh, as we tape this, uh, yesterday I worked the Minnesota Vikings game, and ironically Kevin O'Connell, their head coach, was one of my pupils, I guess you can call it, at the NFL broadcast boot camp about ten years ago. Uh, when it was held down in uh, southern Jersey at NFL Films. Now it's out in, in California every summer. But the NFL brings in about 20 either recently retired players or uh, players who are still active but might want to get into the broadcasting world. And uh, this one particular day, uh, Nate Burleson, who's done a great job at CBS, both in sports and news, Tim Hasselbeck, who's gone on to a real good career at ESPN, and Kevin O'Connell were all – part of that group and and they've all gone on to have major success but uh whether it's a jonathan vilma or a ronde barber who was my previous partner uh a lot of fun working with these guys they're such hard workers they were during their playing careers and they put so many hours into it during the week as broadcasters as well early on i worked with ron pitts anthony munoz brian baldinger uh tim green they were all older than me and then I guess it became somewhat balanced during the years I spent with Moose Johnston and Tony Saragusa. We were all around the same age, mm-hmm. and now it's been Rondé Barber and, and Jonathan Vilma who are at least 10 or 12 years younger. So it, it's a lot of fun um, you know, helping them along at the start of their careers. So you've written a book called The Mike for All Seasons. Uh, Kenny, why now? What, what, what was the reason behind the timing, and how long did it take you to write the book, to try to remember all the stories? Did you take notes over the years, or do you just have great recall? Well, to answer the first part of the question, always felt like I had a lot of stories, and and at some point wanted to put it down on paper, and my family kind of pushed me, my wife and two daughters. uh, They've been, uh, you know, at me for a while as far as potentially writing a book, and I also speak, as you do, I'm sure, with with so many different high school and college uh, broadcasting camps, classes throughout the year, try to give advice to youngsters who are looking to get into the business. So I wanted that to be a part of it as well. And, and whenever I speak with them, they ask so many good questions, and you wind up giving a lot of the same answers, telling the same stories. So really during the pandemic, uh, back in April and May 2020, when we were all home and I was home for 146 straight days, uh, that's when uh, I really you know, started to put the plans in place. Um, I had been contacted by a book agent out of New York named Andrew Blauner several years prior, and he sent me an email, said, if you're ever thinking about writing a book, uh, let me know. I might be able to hook you up with, with a publisher. And sure enough, uh, he did with, with Triumph Books out of Chicago. And during the pandemic, I put together an outline, started writing some sample chapters, portions of chapters, 
I uh, did it all myself, did not have a ghostwriter, wanted it to be my words, my stories, and I enjoy writing. I had done a lot of it back in high school and college. Overall, it probably took about a little over two years from, from the time when I, when, when I absolutely started back in 2020 until I had to submit it to the publisher in September of 2022. Now, it wasn't like I was working on it every day. There, there were periods you know, during the seasons where I might not have done anything for three weeks or a month. So it was on and off at home, in hotels, on airplanes. Uh, so about a two-year process as far as the writing. And then once I submitted it, we went back and forth a bunch of times with the editing and, and making corrections and changes. So I uh, finally saw the first copies about six weeks ago. W- was very excited when, when those boxes arrived at the house and it officially uh, was released to the public about three weeks ago, October 10th. And it's just a compilation of uh, early life, getting into the business, uh, working minor league hockey for two years, uh, stories about each of the different sports that I've broadcast, travel tales, I'm sure you have many of those, <laughs> stories about calling the Olympics, stories about the 200-plus color analysts that I've worked with, um, a chapter on paying it forward uh, to the to the young broadcasters out there, a chapter about the pandemic and how we broadcasted games during that time, um, a lot about family and, and hard work and dedication. And then to answer the latter portion of your question, I do seem to have a pretty good memory. Uh, wrote a lot of it from memory. I do keep all of my charts, my scorecards from the games, which are which are all in a big file cabinet to my left. I have about 95% of them from the last 30 years. So I would. You know, I would go into the into the files and check certain things. Uh, would Google just to fact check and uh, make sure my memory is correct on dates and games. And and there were some things that I did not remember absolutely as they took place. So uh, there was some fact checking, but but it was a lot of fun and uh, really honored that Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier took part. Uh, they wrote the forwards. Their names are on the cover, uh, right underneath mine. So it was it was a lot of fun and really enjoying hearing the feedback from from people who have read the book so far. Yeah, I was going to ask you about both those guys and your relationship with both because I, I did see the forward by both of them. When did those relationships start, and was that an easy ask? I mean, I'm sure you know both Clyde and Wayne Gretzky, but probably Gretzky more than Clyde, get asked a lot of things like, hey, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? How did you get how – how did that go, the ask for Wayne Gretzky to, to write the forward to your book? Yeah, they were, they were both so great about it, and Wayne – I got to know a little bit back in the late 90s when he was playing for the Rangers. I was doing the radio, and on many of the flights, he would come up and sit in the area where the broadcasters uh, would sit. And he admittedly, it's, it's you know public knowledge, he's not a huge fan of flying, so he would come over and, and chat with the great John Davidson, uh, and I was always in that area of the plane along with Sam Rosen and Sal Messina, you know, Hall of Fame broadcasters. And Wayne would uh, just want to talk about sports and uh, life in general, and uh, it would kind of keep his mind off the flight. So I knew him, you know, during those three years, uh, got to know him a little bit. But then the last two and a half years, uh, he's been part of our team with with the NHL on TNT. He's on the pregame show, the postgame show, not every week, but uh, he's there for the the special events, and then travels with us in the playoffs. So the last two years. Uh, for two weeks each season, uh, Wayne Gretzky and, and the entire Turner pregame crew have been on the road with, with our game crew, so have gotten to know him a lot better. Uh, 
he's as great a person as he was a player, and that, that's pretty hard to say. And Walt Clyde Frazier I've worked with for about uh, 15 years now, approximately 15 games per year on MSG Networks. And, again, another uh, – as good as he was as a player, he's an even better person. He's the only – uh, basketball player in the Hall of Fame as a player and a broadcaster as well. He was inducted last year on the broadcast side. Um, with both of them, my initial thought was to, to have four people, one from each sport uh, whom I've worked with, but uh, the publisher explained to me that it's too much clutter on the front to have four names. He <laughs> said, they said it would be better with two, especially these two names. So uh, went with went with Clyde and, and Wayne and um, – they were both great about it. I, I had emailed Wayne and asked him if if he would be interested in writing something. Um, I even offered a ghostwriter for him uh, for the forward, and he said, "Nope, I'll I'll do it myself." And uh, he was tremendous about it. And uh, Clyde was the same way. Uh, as soon as, as soon as I asked, he was he was happy to do it. They've both done it many times before, and uh, like I said, it's surreal to look at the cover and, and see both of their names on there. Oh, that's very cool, man. And Kenny, one of the things that uh, I, I respect so much about you, and admittedly I don't get to watch a lot, obviously, on Sunday because the Cardinals are playing, but the other sports you do and have done over the years and NFL playoff games you've done where the Cardinals aren't playing and I'm at home watching, um, I, I, it's always about the game. You don't make it about yourself. You try to get the most out of your analysts, and it's about the game. And not everybody calls it that way, and I always felt that that's what the fan wants. The fan wants it to be about the game. Yes, it's entertainment. You have to be entertaining. But you can't sacrifice documentation of the game. Um, and I think that happens nowadays where a lot of people, they're trying to you know, make a name for themselves. They're trying to climb the ladder. And sometimes they think by making it about themselves or making documentation the second or third most important thing during a broadcast, they, they think it's going to help them, but it, it doesn't. Have you been tempted at all? You've been doing this for so long at a network level. Have you been tempted at all to compromise that or to change that, given how the business has changed them? Think, think about talk radio. Think about podcasting and how personality-driven sports content has changed so much since we got started doing play-by-play. Well, first of all, I appreciate it. appreciate the kind words. Um, you know, that, that's just how I was brought up, how I learned – uh, to do play-by-play, um, it's about the game. The analysts are the experts. They were the former players or coaches. You know, I'm sort of the traffic cop uh, on a football game, for example. I'll I'll set up the play, call the play, recap the play, and then and then get out of the way for the analyst. And you know, we all do so much work during the week to prepare. Um, but come Sunday, you know, it's it's about the game. It's about what's what's taking place on the field. And ironically. Some of the times that I've received praise in the media, whether in a you know a newspaper column or on talk radio, uh, has been when I haven't said anything. <laughs> and you know that's kind of funny to to say as a play-by-play announcer. But um, the Bautista home run and bat flip in 2015 is one of the calls that I get asked about the most, uh, which is which is ironic because I do less baseball than than the other sports. But um, I call the home run and then I shut up for about. 20 or 30 seconds, um, a, a big game seven overtime goal in hockey two years ago on TNT, the Rangers against Pittsburgh. Um, according to Phil Mushnick of the New York Post, I called the goal and then I 
laid out or shut up in, in layman's terms for a minute, 56 seconds. So it, it's kind of, you know, like I said, it's ironic, but some of the, some of the times that we get the biggest praise is when we don't say anything. And I, I think it's, it's, you know, in both of those cases, it was a home run or a goal scored by a home team player. So the crowd is going to be giving, you know, a great reaction for the viewers. So the director and the, the folks in the truck, you know, work their magic and, uh, show what's going on on the field or ice, and then they're panning to the crowd and the celebrations. So uh, now TV and radio are a lot different. I do hockey on the radio as well, and um, in that medium, uh, you know, as you know, working Cardinals games on the radio, and you go back and forth between radio and TV on various sports, but it's a whole different animal, and I talk about that in the book as well. Um, on radio, you have to be so descriptive and give the time and score a lot more often, and on big plays, you only uh, you know, lay out for about a second and a half, and then you have to come back in. So, um, again, I know I'm giving a long answer to a short question, but I feel it's always about the game. I don't really have a signature call, you know, like some people do on, on home runs or, or goals or three-point shots, um, but I guess it goes back to how I was taught and how I learned uh, many years ago. So along those lines – your father, Marv, who obviously is a Hall of Fame broadcaster like yourself. And, look, I I went to Syracuse because of your dad. Um, I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. And back then, you didn't have social media. You didn't have cell phones. So the only way that I even knew Syracuse had – and I liked Syracuse basketball, so I would watch Syracuse basketball all the time – they were kind of like um, you know, the Lakers of college basketball with Sherman Douglas and Derek Coleman. They were on TV all the time on ESPN. And Dick Vitale was calling the games. And you know, I had watched, obviously, uh, a lot of pro sports and had followed your dad and Bob Costas. And you know, Dick Vitale starts talking about Marv Albert and Bob Costas going to Syracuse. And I was such a fan of Syracuse that – and I knew I wanted to get into broadcasting, but I had no idea that they had this great broadcast school. So – because of my passion for Syracuse basketball, that's how I found out. Um, I didn't read it in, uh, you know, on Twitter. I didn't get a phone call about it. Um, I didn't see it on the internet. That, that's how I found out. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, from your standpoint, you know, what it was like. How did you? Uh, was it just your dad? Was it others that taught you? And, and what was it like growing up uh, in Albert? Well, first of all, um, you know, it's funny how things come full circle. I did not go to Syracuse, although. As you and I discussed in person last week, I, uh, I'm an honorary member because I paid a tuition for my <laughs> older daughter who went there and graduated a couple of years ago. And just this morning, I woke up in your hometown of Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, I did the Green Bay Packers game yesterday and then went to visit my other daughter, who's a student uh, at Wisconsin. So I awesome. uh, was just in Madison about 10 hours ago. Um, but growing up, you know, I didn't really know anything different. I was so used to it uh, growing up with, with a father and, and two uncles, his brothers, who were also play-by-play broadcasters. And to me, it was the greatest thing. I mean, I, I got to go to all these games. I would go to Knicks games and Rangers games. And uh, my parents bought me a tape recorder for my birthday when I was five years old. And I started announcing games into the tape recorder in my bedroom. And I was never forced to do it. I was never told you have to go into this business. But I was just around it all the time and, and really enjoyed it. And when I was old enough, I would tag along with him to games and to the WNBC Channel 4 studio in New York. And when I was about 15, I would start keeping stats for him at Knicks games, Rangers games, NFL games. And 
more so than anything that he really ever taught me. It's not like he ever sat me down and gave me lessons. It was more just watching and learning via osmosis, watching the preparation that goes into each and every broadcast, whether at home or in a hotel room somewhere. Um, and then when I was in the booth keeping the stats, just watching the communication, the synergy that he had with all of his color analysts and watching the communication between uh, the announcers and, and the production folks in the truck. So back in those days, and, and we're around the same age, you couldn't really start doing this until college. So I felt like I had a head start um, just by observing. And also, and I, and I write about this in the book, a huge break occurred when I was in 10th grade, and I was covering sporting events at my high school for the town paper and for the school paper. 10th grade, I'm, I'm there covering a girls' basketball game, and all of a sudden, uh, this local cable station shows up, Cox Cable of Great Neck, which is a neighboring town. And the athletic director at my school introduced me to the producer, and it turns out they did not have announcers. Uh, they had a little production van and uh, two cameras. That was it. So I volunteered to announce the game. They clipped a microphone onto my shirt. I did that game, and then for the next two and a half years in high school, um, worked about 75 to 100 games for Cox Cable, and I would bring friends along as, as color commentators. And, again, I felt like I had a two-and-a-half, three-year head start at the time because other kids really did not get this opportunity until they went off to college. What was your best or one of the most memorable um childhood celebrity stories that you remember that you know whether it was meeting somebody at a game you were with with your dad or your uncles or just somebody that was over at the house that you had a chance to meet or even interview well I have a couple I'm, I'm looking behind me now in my home office at photos with Wayne Gretzky and Reggie Jackson um, back then when I when I tagged along uh, he did interviews with both I was about 11 when I met Reggie and about 15 or 16 when I met Wayne, and, and I, I'm pretty sure both of those photos made it into the book. But he, he also did invite you know friends slash athletes over to the house at times uh, when I was growing up. And, and Dr. J, Julius Irving, was one who came over on a number of occasions. Uh, my parents would play tennis with him, and he would play basketball in the driveway. My mother once beat him in a game of horse at his house, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, when he still lived on Long Island playing for the Nets before he went to the 76ers. And there was another time, Phil Jackson, uh, who was playing for the Knicks at the time, and they were friendly, and uh, I was about eight or nine years old, and a friend of mine named Dale DeLeo, we beat Phil Jackson. Uh, well, I'm not sure if we beat him, but we played him two-on-one basketball in the driveway. I remember <laughs> dribbling the ball between his legs. So uh, th those are some of the memories that stand out. I beat Bill Walton in one-on-one -on -one about three years ago, but keep in mind, Bill can't move. So it wasn't like it was hard. I mean, all I had to do was Bill get by him. Watched, Bill actually was once watching in Chicago. He was working for NBC, and I was there keeping stats, you know, back before, before the professional career began on air. I wound up on a, on a three-on-one break with Magic Johnson and another friend of mine who were part of this NBC pickup game, and it was so exciting. Bill was actually sitting there watching. He couldn't play because of his knees, but Bill actually watched me, uh, you know, pass a ball to Magic. But uh, I think your story is a little bit better. <laughs> hey, you got to play with Magic. What do you mean? That's that's a great yeah, that story. Was cool. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Um, you talked about how your your dad never pushed you uh, into broadcasting, and you you already uh, mentioned your daughters, one a Syracuse alum, and the other in Madison, at Wisconsin. Um, like I. Th thankfully, 
we don't have my, my wife is not a big sports fan. My my two daughters, one of them is, but she's trying to be an actress, so broadcasting really wasn't something she was interested in. And my son's a sports fan, but I haven't really pushed it because I just I, my dad is an attorney. He never pushed me, and I just I don't know. I figure if it's something that he's interested in, he'll let me know. And if he wants help, I'm happy to help him. Have have how have you found that in terms of your children? Uh, knowing that you could assist getting into a business that's very hard to get into, but not pushing. Right. I mean, I was never pushed, like I said. Um, I did receive a lot of opportunities to, to go to games and, and to be in the press box and to help out. So that, that was certainly, um, you know, that was probably a big part of it early on. But he never pushed, um, you know, never, never really – openly opened any doors, you know, it was more uh, me just, again, observing and, and learning via osmosis. And uh, yes, I met a lot of people, which led to internships and other opportunities. But um, I think he sat back and, and let me, you know, do the hard work and kind of figure things out. Um, I have two daughters, my older one who went to Syracuse actually does work in the business behind the scenes. Uh, she never really had any aspirations of, of being on air, although she did some on-air work in class at Syracuse, but she's uh, doing a terrific job as a, as a video producer, editor at the NHL, at the National Hockey League office, and she learned how to use, you know, all that fancy equipment at Syracuse. She had a great internship with the athletic department and would edit highlights during the, the second pandemic year, actually, when, when fans were not allowed into the Carrier Dome. Uh, she, was, she was in the building editing football and basketball highlights, so she always... Uh, she she wound up with a passion uh, for the editing and producing work. And uh, my younger one at Wisconsin, uh, she is a journalism major. Not sure exactly what direction she'll head in, but um, really never put any pressure on them as well, just like no pressure was ever put on me, and it sounds like on you either. So I get asked a lot, as I'm sure you do, about, you know, what's your favorite? What do you enjoy most? And, you know, I'm not doing four sports or five sports, if you include the Olympics, but, you know, I'm doing – NFL and college football, which are essentially two different sports, and NBA and college basketball. Again, uh, it's basketball, but very different. And I love all of it. I'm glad I don't have to choose. But I know other people will openly say, yeah, this is my favorite, this particular sport. Do you, do you have a favorite, or is it, I mean, is it one where you enjoy whatever game you're doing in the moment? I'm similar to you, where I enjoy whatever game I'm doing in the moment. Very fortunate to be involved in, in so many different sports, and you know, like you said, you're involved in four because the NFL and college football are distinctly different and the NBA and college basketball are distinctly different and you do a terrific job. I enjoy watching all of the games that you do in the various sports. Um, to me, when I was younger, hockey was probably the passion, but I loved all the other ones. You know, they weren't that far behind. Um, I, I was watching hockey, football, basketball, baseball, calling all of them into the tape recorder. My goal was to do hockey on the radio. That was really in high school and college, you know, that was what I wanted to do, and I was very fortunate to get hired by a minor league team in Baltimore, the Skipjacks, and spent two years there and really learned so much about what goes into running a professional sports organization. I also had to do PR and sales and marketing and pick up players at the airport, really whatever they needed. Um, but I had had the experience at Cox Cable working so many different sports, and then when I wound up working in Washington, hired for hockey but would fill in on basketball and baseball and men's college basketball, women's college basketball, and then the huge break in 94 when Rupert Murdoch 
acquire the rights to the NFC package, and Fox, you know, took it away from CBS after 35 plus years, and the executives, you know, decided to hire Pat Summerall and John Madden as the number one crew, greatest of all time. Dick Stockton and Matt Millen as the number two crew, and then they took a chance on, on four young play-by-play announcers: uh, Joe Buck, Kevin Harlan, Tom Brenneman, and I were all hired in '94. And I don't think any of us ever thought that we'd be doing football on network TV, let alone at, at you know at that age. So um, being involved in the NFL for 30 years has been incredible. Uh, calling the Stanley Cup final on NBC a couple of years ago, TNT last year, uh, working on the, the lead crew with the NHL on TNT is also incredible. And also really enjoy doing basketball and baseball too. So um, it, it, I always say it's like asking which kid you like best if you have four of them. <laughs> Um, as you said, really love you know whatever game is being played on that particular day. Uh, this week I have a hockey game on TNT Wednesday, uh, basketball game on Friday, Knicks and Milwaukee Bucks, and then the the Commanders and Patriots on Sunday. So, you know, similar to you, it's a hectic time. Three sports this week, and really love them all. Well, you're great at all of it. You've been great at all of it for so long. Um, last question, and I guess it's along the lines of what you just mentioned with the games you have. Um, like I've got Lakers Clippers Wednesday, Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State Saturday, and then I got to get to Cleveland for the Cardinals Sunday. Um, it is certainly the most stressful part and the the least glorious part of what we do, and that's the travel and the stress of getting from one game to the next, especially when it's multiple employers. Um, do you, do you have a crazy? Or you probably maybe have several crazy travel stories, and we'll leave uh, we'll leave you with that one. Well, you you and I are real fortunate to work for multiple employers who allow us to uh, do what we do and, and keep up the jigsaw puzzle of a the schedule. There are probably six to eight days a year that are really really stressful, where I might be traveling in on the on the morning of a game, uh, which will be played that night. Um, you know, for the most part. We all get there the day before, but, you know, when you have college football on a Saturday and Cardinals on Sunday, for example, you know, that's not always the case. So there are some stressful days. Um, I do dedicate an entire chapter in the book to travel stories. Um, knock on wood, have never missed a game due to a travel or a, or a weather issue. Um, twice had to travel via car from Buffalo uh, back to the New York area, which is about six hours due to flight cancellations or weather. Uh, once had a travel by car from Atlanta to New Orleans, which is about seven hours. I've had some crazy connections on flights. Um, but, but like I said, uh, fortunately never missed a game due to travel, but there have been some uh, pretty, pretty funny stories when you look back at it along the way. Well, I can't wait to read the book, A Mike for All Seasons, and I know that uh, people listening to this podcast are going to check it out, Kenny, because – Everybody loves and respects the job that you do, man. You're one of the best in the business. Um, I don't think you get enough public uh, credit and notoriety for just how great you are at how many different sports. And you bring it every game, man. Um, you're a joy to listen to and watch and a great guy as well, man. I really appreciate you spending some time with me. Well, Dave, really appreciate it. I uh, feel the same way about you. Always love tuning in to whatever game you're doing and uh, – don't get to see each other in person very often. We did last week in Seattle, so uh, hopefully I'll have another Cardinals game down the stretch. But appreciate you having me on, and good luck with the travel this week. Hope to see you soon. 
Great story from Kenny about his mom beating Dr. J on the basketball court at his house. And just listening to all the stories, I can imagine how great Kenny's new book is, A Mike for All Seasons. It just came out. Can't wait to read it. Hope you get a chance to check it out. Not only is Kenny one of the best broadcasters in the business, but he's got unbelievable stories. He's forged great relationships over the years with many player, coach, and general manager celebrities that he has an opportunity to get to know, and also, of course, family with his dad, Marv, and his uncles, Al and Steve. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. You can follow us on Twitter, at PashPod. You can also rate us, review us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you have a guest in mind that you'd really like to hear from, whether it's Cardinals-related or not, please let us know. Thanks again to Kenny Albert, and thanks again to you for listening to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast.